Before we start today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to Zencaster, which is a podcaster's best friend. Trust me when I tell you this, Zencaster is like the Shopify for podcasters. It's all you need to get up and running as a podcaster. And the best thing about Zencaster is that you get so much stuff for free. If you are planning to check out the platform, then please show your support for the Founder Thesis podcast by using this link, zen.ai slash Founder Thesis. That's zen.ai slash Founder Thesis. Hi, I'm Rikas Garg, co-founder of Paytail. One minute, stop. Let's go. Let's do this. This could be a great intro. Hi, I'm Akshay. Hi, this is Saurabh. And you are listening to the Founder Thesis Podcast. We meet some of the most celebrated startup founders in the country. And we want to learn how to build a unicorn. PNPL or Buy Now, Pay Later is one of the fastest growing categories within the fintech space. And there is a good reason why. If a retailer is able to offer you the option to buy a product without having to pay for the entire thing on the spot, then it greatly increases the chances that you will actually buy the product. And there are studies which show that offering BNPL can increase sales by as much as 30%, which is a massive growth in sales. No wonder investors love BNPL startups like Zest Money, Simple and Lazy Pay, which have raised hundreds of millions of dollars so far. However, even in this crowded market, there is one wide-open, unaddressed space. On the one side, you have the online BNPL startups I just mentioned, which help you when you are making an online payment. And then you have traditional players like Bajaj FinServe, which convert your offline purchases with Tier 1 retailers into EMIs. But there's a whole large category of Tier 2 and 3 retailers who are not covered by any BNPL fintech. And this is where a company like Paytail comes in. Vikas Garg saw this unaddressed opportunity in offering offline BNPL through a tech-driven approach which led him to start up Paytain that makes it as easy for an offline retailer to offer BNPL as an online retailer. Listen on to discover the magic of BNPL and the disruption that Paytail is bringing in. Delhi was a, um, I would say, completely transformational journey. And uh, from that perspective, I would say a management degree or a management course kind of exposes you in multiple directions. That's when you really start understanding what a business is and um, uh, what kind of nuances. you. And that's where I would say somewhere deep down in me, the uh, ambition was shown that, you know, outside of a TFN city, outside of a packaging unit, there are, there is a lot which can be done. And I could figure that out very, very clearly that boss, if you have to really elevate yourself and go to the next level, this is what you really want. I was selected for the corporate banking role, uh, which at that point of time, it used to be one of the pivoted role. I was continuing in the corporate banking and asset-based asset, asset based, uh, approach for uh, quite some time. Uh, that's when I, I met uh, another company, which at that point of time uh, used to be called as Priority Vendor. Uh, I met Kunal, who's still a very, very good and close friend. Um, they were actually looking to solve the same problem. As what you did in Religate, like, Supply chain financing. I what I did, what I did in the last four years of my career from then, they were look, they were solving the same problem, but with a totally different lens, and that lens was a technology lens, right? So that's when I kind of uh, got to know that okay, uh, there is a problem statement, 
and there is a already set up uh, solution. How do you really approach it to solve it? But if you really think hard to solve the same problem, there are multiple ways. And that's what uh, Coral was doing in Priority Vendor. And then that made me kind of super excited. Uh, while I was, we were uh, in my banking career, we were leveraging upon the bank's own uh, or the balance sheet to lend it to the small businesses and the corporates. Um, Kural, on the other hand, in Priority Vendor, they were actually doing a fantastic job where they said that, hey, look, we can actually spin off a dynamic discounting platform where we can use excess cash lying on the corporate's own balance sheet to redistribute that cash across the small businesses ecosystem. And we can generate a win-win situation for everyone because for a small business, he's getting immediate access to cash. And for a large enterprise client, they're actually getting some sort of arbitrage in the entire transaction. So, so the enterprise uh, and the small business would have to be related parties or it can just go to any small business. So it works like this. Think about a multi-billion dollar company, let's say ITC. Now ITC has approximately uh, thousands of business applying to them, 15,000 approximately, right? So someone is supplying goods, products, services, logistics, plethora of stuff. Now there is a credit period which is involved here that whenever a business supplies ITC will pay them back, which is part of any standard uh, uh, business. Uh, what we used to do uh, for all of these small businesses, as soon as they complete the supply, we will basically throw an offer at them that, hey, here is your offer. If you are ready to offer a, a discount at about 12% annualized rate, 10% annualized rate. And that is where the entire algorithm of the technology used to discover on the go. There was an entire algorithm written and the algorithm will tell you what kind of discount would appeal to what kind of audience. Depending on that, uh, they would basically place their bids, their bets, and you would uh, uh, get the money from corporate's own balance sheet and redistribute that money into the supplier ecosystem. So the businesses are already trading. Uh, ITC money would go to ITC vendors only. It's not like, say, ITC money going to uh, Unilever vendors. That would not have. But there was there obviously used to be a crossover because the guy who's supplying to an ITC is also supplying to Unilever and a lot of other enterprises in the same domain. So it's not that you're solving for a very, very small portion of the kitty. You're actually catering to a large working capital requirement from a small business perspective. And that used to be really, really valuable. And that's where I, I really learned that, you know, what kind of role technology can play uh, into everyday business. And the same problem statements which, which the traditional or the legacy players have been trying to solve in a different way, there is still a better solution with which you can attack the same problem. And uh, what was uh, their monetization, like uh, priority vendor? like? So uh, the revenue model was purely success-based, like any other SaaS company. Um, so whatever arbitrage we are able to generate for the corporates, uh, there would be a cut that we will have in between uh, because that arbitrage has purely come in because there was a investment that we had done in the tech and there was a discovery, price discovery that we were doing for every transaction. Okay. And uh, what was the journey for a vendor? Like a vendor would upload his invoice if he wanted that money upfront. That was the process or was it like linked to the ERP of ITC the moment a vendor invoice is submitted, uh, the vendor will get a proposal that, hey, you want this money today, uh, get it at like, you know, you'll get 98% or 96%, whatever, so get it at this rate. The latter. We were integrated with every single corporate uh, that we were onboarding at the enterprise client. 
and uh, then we were just redistributing the money. And it was a fairly interesting model. And eventually, uh, one, one and a half year down the line, we could also bring in some of the world's most largest banks to participate in the marketplace. So, and all of these banks were essentially the multinational corporations, uh, all the way from Japan to uh, to uh, London to everywhere, right? The four, five big, very, very big wins that we had done on the banking. So it's a very highly successful model. And CTF, so. It's a low-risk proposition and a high-volume proposition for everyone. And everyone wins. The bank wins, the enterprise clients win, and the small businesses, they definitely win. Because this is one of the most uh, important problem statement what every small business has uh, is facing. And what really needs to be solved globally and at a very, very large scale. So how come I haven't heard of uh, Priority Vendor? Like, it, it's so under the radar. I'll tell you. Uh, so Priority Vendor got acquired by a US-based company called C2FO, uh, which was also doing the same business, uh, albeit at a very, very large scale because Priority Vendor was more like a domestic player. And uh, C2FO was present across, I think, 100 countries already. Uh, so that's when the takeover uh, happened and there were some clear synergies. Because there is when there are two very, very large players existing in the same economy, right? There's no point... Uh, getting into a price war when you can, you know, just join hands and uh, bring out a lot, lot more synergies on the table. If we really kind of come together, can we really solve the agenda at a much, much larger scale than what individually either of us can really solve? But I would say that that was the thought process in the right direction for both the founder Sandy of C2F and Funal of uh, Priority Vendor. And uh, yeah, that was my, in fact, uh, one more learning uh, in the entire process that this has to be the really progressive thought process of every single founder out there. Okay. And uh, did you stay on once the acquisition happened or like what did you do then? I stayed on uh, for quite some time, I'd say. And that's when I think uh, my thought process on the entire market was also developing. Um, because now it's really deep. Uh, I had done enterprise sales for quite some time. Um, I'd been catering to the small businesses for a for the longest time, um, every time we used to meet a corporate, our enterprise client, they used to say that boss, you know, this problem has already been solved up to the large extent now. Okay, this supply chain financing. Huh. Okay, this supply chain finance, right? There are big players like you. Uh, I think Vayana Vayana Network is also doing this. Credex is also doing this. Lot of players, but when I used to meet on my enterprise clients, there is there used to be one unanimous ask which everyone would come back and would really, um, you know, ask thought-provoking questions. People would say that this problem has already been solved up to a large extent, but what really needs to be solved and what really matters is the problem right at the bottom of the supply chain. It's not at tier one. Tier one, to the guy who supply to a, a billion-dollar corporate itself is a, is a fairly decently uh, placed guy. Uh, but when you talk about the last mile on the last bottom or bottom of the pyramid, which is the retailer sitting in the market, that is where the problem lies. Because it doesn't really matter how much working capital you have. But retailers get a credit period, no? I mean, they, they, they don't have to pay upfront for whatever they are buying, right? Well, um, there are multiple models, um, actually. And it entirely depends upon the industry that you're talking about. So, for example, in, F in FMCG industry, uh, there is no credit 
as such. Bell Taylor literally pays after to get the stock lifted, right? And talk about uh, the next, uh, or probably that would also be true for a, a large tire manufacturer. Uh, but that may not be true uh, in a power solution industry or, for example, in an electronic industry. There are different playbooks depending on how each of these industries and how each of the players are positioned. Depending on the margin also, I guess. Like if it's high margin product, then they would be more willing to give credit. And Absolutely. But essentially, the important point to note here is that each of these retailers that we speak about, these are all multi-brand guys. Everyone is multi-brand. They'll buy Coke and Pepsi both, like not just one. Everything, everything. They'll just keep the entire uh, stock loaded and uh, just to make sure that the customer doesn't kind of uh, goes away and they're able to have maximum conversions. And we are not only talking about from an FMCG standpoint here, this applies across the industries. So even if you talk about the tires or, uh, you know, any industry that you pick, this fundamental, which is uniform across the country. And from an enterprise standpoint, now, of course, everyone would want to increase the wallet share at the retailer's counter. And people, I mean, uh, fight really hard neck to neck uh, to achieve that objective, right? If you really go there and listen to that guy, almost every seller is going to tell you one thing, which is like, they call it like Dande Ki Baat. Ki boss, I want to increase my sales and I want to increase my profitability, Right? unanimous problem statement to solve across all the sellers. And if you really ask them that, hey, what's wrong with your sales, man? You're making a, yeah, this is kicking, right? You're sitting in the prominent location and everything is going good. That's when they would tell you an intuitive metric. If you, of course, ask them the data point, they may not be able to share that CRM data with you. But uh, because they've been running the business for over a decade now, and probably the second generation has also entered, they would give you an intuitive figure. That boss, if 100 people come to my store, I am able to convert only 30, 35, maximum 40 people out of that. And the remaining 60 people will not buy. Yeah, because I don't have what they need. Like, I don't have that brand or that SKU. Like, So I, I classify this largely as two problems, sub-problems, right? Uh, the reasons could be distribution. Because like you said, uh, they don't have what the customer really wants. There could be a specific requirement, right? Or the capital. The product that the customer, the merchant is selling, the guy doesn't even have enough money or the budget is not there to really afford that kind of product. To, to afford the product from a consumer perspective, right? And that is that is where because of these two simple reasons, a majority of the fallouts happen. From my standpoint, um, when I was looking at this space and almost every single enterprise client in CPG group, consumer product group, uh, comes back and tell you that boss, something needs to be done at the bottom of the pyramid. I am a very, very motivated guy after that, right? So then I, I started researching um, and I'd say that uh, just after first wave, when Unlock 1 started and just started happening, uh, by the time I finished my research, I, I read about all about the space and I was super excited about it. And COVID kind of uh, gave me that time uh, because otherwise you're all, always half of my life out on the field, yeah. meeting clients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So COVID gave me that time. I finished my research 
and I was super, super excited and kicked about the entire space. Um, I spoke with a couple of my friends, uh, one of my ex-colleague Amit Chaturvedi, who's also my co-founder. Uh, we spent hours uh, discussing... Ex-colleague from where? Like Citrofo, Priority Vendor. Yeah, we, we worked for almost three and a half years there together, uh, solving for the same thing. And uh, we, we, we actually spent hours talking about uh, this entire space and the idea and how a huge blue ocean opportunity is still lying out there. And there are different uh, lenses with which we will be able to solve it. But what did you decide as the product that you would offer? Like, what was the thesis? You know, like you said, the philosophy behind the business, what was that like? So, okay, the philosophy still remains the same, right? So what we thought of, that if this is really the problem statement to solve, we actually went to the market and we had a few ideas which we kind of iterated with uh, a lot of the retailers. And since there were not many uh, people outside in the market and the footfall was fairly low, at that point in time, um, we actually had that opportunity to actually sit over a cup of tea. They would give us time and we'd spend about 15-20 minutes, half an hour talking to each of these folks. Uh, our initial- what, what were the options you were exploring like in terms of the options to how to solve? So uh, the thesis uh, that, okay, there are few problem statements which potentially can be solved. Uh, number one problem is that can you solve for credit of the merchant, right? That is one. Number two. Hmm. So that he can store more SKUs uh, because he doesn't have to pay upfront. That he doesn't have to pay upfront. So can you basically extend some uh, a bit more credit to the to the merchant? And the second piece is half for the merchant. Yeah, uh, BNPL for the merchant, yeah. BNPL for the merchant, right? That was the first thought. And the second iteration that we wanted to kind of chat on, uh, can we spin off a hyper-local play, right? Where, where it's a super hyper-local kind of stuff. People in the same vicinity are able to see the stocks and of what the merchant is keeping and they're able to buy so that we are able to bring more customers to them. That was the second thought process. But we were a little cautious on the, on the second one because there were a lot of hyper-local journeys uh, which had already been traveled and which kind of landed in a tizzy uh, because of uh, one reason or the other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hyper-local is like extremely high burn uh, strategy. That is right. That is right. So we actually went went with these couple of theses to the market where we really wanted to understand from them that, hey, what can we really do for you, right? And that's when we learned about this, uh, some of the statistics which I just mentioned that they are only able to convert about 40% of the customers and the remaining are just returning. Um, um, when we were chatting with them, what came out of the entire conversation? that probably credit may not be the best of the idea to solve for. Because credit, by its very nature, it remains a push product. Right? Because when you're extending the credit to the merchant, this, you suddenly have five people, different quadrants, uh, selling probably almost similar, non-differentiated credit product to the guy. So that's when you end up getting into the price war again, and you screw up. And it still kind of remains a push product. When we wanted to do something, we really wanted to have something on the table, which is a pull product, right? And the, and there was a loss of, lot of noise from the kind of merchants that we met. But if someone can help me in converting even the footfall which is coming to my store here, forget about bringing more customers. The customers who are coming to my store already, if someone is, can help me in 
converting 10 more customers. It's a 33% jump in my business, right? Someone can convert me, help me converting 15 more customers. It's a 50% jump to my business. So how do you really convert to them? How do you really convert the customers? Again, the same two problem statement by the fallouts happen. Distribution, capital. But distribution is something that you cannot really solve for. Because like, for example, there's a chip problem going on. Uh, the entire industry is struggling because of that. And uh, there are uh, some raw material shortages. And that's going to continue because of each of the industry nuances. So that's probably not in the hands of any single player to come in and solve for uh, from a distribution standpoint. Uh, what remains is the capital. <clears throat> and that's when we started going deep. Um, and our in initial apprehension was that boss within capital, there are 800 pounds gorillas sitting in the market. What are you going to do so differently? Uh, who, who's offering credit to retailers? I don't think there's... Uh, are there players who are targeting retailers? Like? There are many players. I mean, I mean, each and every bank, each and every NBFC, because these retailers have their current account somewhere, right? And we are not offering uh, credit to the retailers, by the way, as yet. Uh, the product is different, which I'll just uh, talk about. Uh, but to answer your question, yes. I mean, there's a decent amount of penetration which is already there. Uh, so, again, the two categories, right? There are people who everyone wants to fund. Every bank wants to fund them. Every MBFC wants to fund them. He he doesn't need you. And in category um, where no one wants to fund. When you are anyhow dependent upon some third-party capital and you're talking about a guy who no one wants to fund, what are you talking about? Then how are you going to fund it? Right? So, uh, it's, it's kind of the mathematics works like that. Uh, but that said, there is still a bit of opportunity in the space, which I'm sure a lot of uh, uh, the the peer fintech founders or the new age companies they are trying to solve for. Uh, but our take on the market actually became a little different uh, when we started speaking with these guys. And when they said that, hey, if you can really solve for the capital problem of my consumer, if, if you can basically provide something which is instant access to capital, the moment they step into my store to buy something, that's going to be magical, right? Our initial impression was that, you know, there are 800-pound gorilla sitting in the market. There are very, very large players who are already trying to solve for the checkout finance in the offline environment. What are you going to do so differently? What other people have not been able to solve for? Um, that's when we found three anomalies, right? Uh, number one, in the current environment, of offline checkout finance. The entire market is skewed towards just two industries, which are the, uh, in our language, what we call as legacy industries, uh, mobile and electronics, consumer deliverables. Um, and almost everyone, uh, including both of us, we are aware about how that market has been functioning for uh, last one decade. And the players in that segment, they have done a magnificent job and they continue to be an inspiration till date. Uh, with whatever uh, they have done in the space so far, right? Other than these two categories, anything and everything just hugely remains underpenetrated. I mean, from a uh, if I'm a consumer, if I'm buying a thirty thousand rupees phone, or if I'm buying a replacement pack of tires for my car, which is still gonna cost me twenty five grand, thirty grand, 
uh, for me, it's still a cash out play. So I have no reason why do I really differentiate. And that was kind of one of the theses that, you know what, there are just umpteen number of industries, umpteen number of segments which are hugely interpenetrated. And this was one anomaly uh, which we saw in the market. The second anomaly which we saw, other than the large retail counters, and those large retail counters could be an organized retail, uh, you know, the multi-brand organized retails, or some of the large counters in specific markets uh, in a tier one, tier two city. Uh, the long tail, the small merchants, and that small merchant could be selling a bicycle, uh, and this this is they have pretty fancy bicycles, by the way, huh? Yeah, uh, and could be selling tires, it could be selling power solution, it could be selling furniture, it could be a, a dental clinic, whatever it is, right? Um, almost all of these guys, they really struggle uh, to have something which is just as instant what as they really want. So this was the second anomaly, right? The third anomaly that we saw that even if in the situations uh, where the checkout finance options are available, the entire experience, what an e-com platform can really deliver to the consumer. This is what you can really get in an offline environment. is diagonally opposite, boss. Diagonally opposite, right? So someone's got to solve this. Our playbook was set. That was the moment our playbook was set. Okay, boss, this is what we got to do. Uh, no one is looking at this piece. No one is probably solving for. And even if people try to solve for, uh, we are talking about a overall market opportunity of a little over $300 billion. If you like to hear stories of founders, then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion-dollar businesses. Just search for the Founder Thesis Podcast on any audio streaming app like Spotify, Ghana, Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the show. Yeah, I want to just do a quick summary here. Um, so what you wanted to build was an experience as smooth as a BNPL on, say, Amazon, where you're buying and you have an option to pay later, seamless, within one or two minutes, everything is done. So the customer experience should be as good as that and available across categories and across sizes of retailers. So while, say, traditionally, you could get this at, say, a, like a Vijay uh, or I like some of these big names, but you can't get this in smaller names. So you wanted to make this available in the long tail and across categories, uh, be it tires, be it uh, uh, like a dental, like a root canal procedure or whatever. right? And, and being geo-neutral. Geo-neutral. That's also the one, one of the most important part. Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3, like across. Right. Got it. Just everywhere. Uh, the people staying everywhere, all of these are households. Uh, there's a there's a certain set of income which is already there. And technology is the solution which can, you, which can really help you in reaching to all of these masses, be, be it the merchants or be it the consumers. While the thesis is still kind of was uh, set in stone that, hey, how do we really make sure that the guy is sitting on the ground who's been retailing for almost a decade and a half uh, really feels the power of the solution? And we are able to deliver the value which we started uh, the entire business with. <clears throat> that continues to be the thesis. I would imagine the biggest challenge would be uh, 
that two minute approval what you get online you know like, like th that would be the biggest thing to solve right like if you can give those customers that instant approval when they are paying for something then when you really look at a checkout finance kind of product and our, the way kind of we have set up our playbook from a consumer perspective we are actually offering everything uh, whatever that retailer is selling everything on a 0% EMI so he could be selling a a geezer or a mixer grinder I'm just talking about even the small ticket items because when you go as a consumer you just tend to club these items and your overall bill still comes to be about 12, 30,000, 15,000 right so uh, if you really club these items and whatever be uh, the brand that they're selling even if it's a non-brand the thesis still stays true that how can we offer a 0% EMI for the consumer in which they don't really have any incremental interest cash outlay from their own pocket uh, made available to the consumer right at the point of sale with a journey which is as simple as you would experience on a typical e-com platform. No, but t tell me about the, how you will solve this. How will you give uh, interest-free EMI? Like, like w what is the, the journey to solve this? Like, So there are two elements to it. Um, so like, I'll just give you a use case. So we've got... Uh, uh, we are actually tied up with uh, one of the largest tire manufacturers, a very big name uh, in the country, right? And uh, these guys are very, very active in, in fact, 65% of the turnover, which is about $2 billion, uh, actually comes in from replacement market tires, right? Uh, which is not when you're buying a fresh car, it's like when you're going for a replacement of the tires. And within that cohort, if you look at 65% of a cohort, 20% uh, of that top line actually uh, comes from the PCV, passenger car vehicle segment. And the remaining come from, uh, you know, large commercial vehicle, small commercial vehicle, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the way we solve it, we first of all tie up with the corporate um, and the corporate sees the clear value prop. Because for them also, uh, the you know, they've, they've experienced this, that, you know, as, as soon as we are approaching winters and the tires of your car kind of run off, everyone kind of delays a buying decision. That, hey, let me just approach someone and that's when I'm going to change. And that's probably goes against the entire safety ethos that each of these corporates is basically talking about in the market. So when they hear about this kind of solution, which can instantly enable the consumer walking into the merchant store to start taking an accelerated buying decision and also opens the door for the merchant to cross-sell and upsell. It, it's a no-brainer. Like any your small business would really want to do this. And what's more important here that these players are also super happy to participate in the program by putting in their skin in the game in terms of subvention. That, okay, if someone is buying my brand tires, I'm more than happy to offer a six-month no-cost TMI or a nine-month no-cost TMI, depending upon the margin structure of each industry, they would actually subvent that entire interest cost from their own pocket so that the consumer doesn't have to bear anything, right? The moment we complete the tie-up, we go to every single retailer that they have in their ecosystem. And there's a very beautiful intuitive mobile application, which is there for the merchants, where unlike the experience that they have with legacy players, uh, where the approval takes as long as uh, two weeks 
and it's not really a geo neutral st- strategy uh, for the legacy folks right uh, here the merchant just downloads the application completes his own approval process uh, it's a verified appro- uh, approval journey uh, which we have built in the merchant application and as soon as they complete it they are activated instantly because there is a scorecard which runs at the background and whoever is passing through the scorecard uh, they get activated instantly that okay you are my partner merchant recommended by a tire manufacturer which is also a brand uh, associated with me and you are activated instantly to start offering an emi to all of your uh, customers walking into the outdoor step so that's the registration part of the merchant and that's how we activate each and every merchant and within the mobile application we'll show them all the offers uh because the corporates also want to kind of uh you know uh show some incentives promote like 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 trade marketing their trade marketing stuff hmm. trade marketing the entire gamification strategy that hey how do i really enable the guy to sell more because that's the entire objective here right now um what's interesting to note here tomorrow in fact we are actually speaking on a good day uh tomorrow we are also launching uh all in one powerful qr code so it's going to be one qr code which we will ship to every single retailer signing up with us right um it's going to work on upi it's going to work on all the debit card emis and we have few partners in that space uh it's going to work on all the credit card emis and uh it's also going to work through paytel's own mobile application uh for an instant credit of up to 2 lakh rupees so it's all in one you merged everything into one single qr code so imagine you are a consumer you just walk into the doorstep you are seeing all the merchandise uh which is paytel co branded merchandise on the merchant counter that hey you can just pick up anything and anything and everything is on a 0% emi even if intuitively it's kind of start training your brain right so even if you don't have the budget even if you are while you were entering you were a little apprehensive that hey how much the tax is going to really cost me will i be able to really buy it today or not right all of those apprehensions suddenly vanishes and what does the trick on top of that when the retailer tells you and promotes that that hey you know what here's an offer i'm just going to offer you a 0% emi why don't you just make the decision right now that seals the deal mm, he has one more tool in his arsenal you know like Uh, if a customer says mehenga he can say emi me convert kar lo emi me convert kar lo sasta ho jayega aapke liye zero percent hai you don't really have to pay any interest cost as well the guy just scans the upi qr code download first download of course first my application registers himself by putting in uh, his name mobile number that's it you don't have to pay any tax um scans the upi qr code we come to know that what is he buying um from which merchant he is buying and there's a data science engine which runs in the background which we have built uh which depending upon the historical trend at the merchant counter clubbed with the credit quality of the consumer how do you get credit quality of consumer because you're not doing any kyc like you're not taking a span aadhar and all no you're just we're taking so we are not taking physical documents and that's mean another trick right uh, we are not really dependent on the guy to submit is physical documentation to us or even through the application or couple of other kyc uh, you know journeys like for example even if the guy has a dl driving license uh, that is also supported so either of these kyc kyc document just the number would work and we are already integrated with some of the golden sources from the back end 
the guy the moment the guy enters the information we fetch out of this information directly from the government source uh, government servers and we are able to uh, run a verification engine that is the same guy who is signing up it is the same kyc right and then we also have access to uh, because we are partnered with credit uh, you know institutions which are largely uh, nbfcs also we uh, get access to the entire we 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 get access to the entire scorecard where they are able to pass along an instant decision but do you get access to scorecard through driving license i thought you need like a pan or a aadhaar for accessing credit history ha huh, so pan you need and there are few more parameters like gender you need uh, date of birth you need all of that stuff right so that is a that's a like pan is a must have right like if someone doesn't have a pan then he wouldn't qualify for credit right yes that's right that's the limitation today pan card is still a mandatory requirement as part of the uh, platform uh, as as yet so we take the pan card we take some of the basic very very basic information none of which is actual document um the guy just completes a i think less than one and a half minute journey in giving us this input we combine it probably the the camera can just point at the pan card and it, the app would scan the number and all that right yeah not needed not needed you just need to enter the pan number that's it that's all we need right and we we need a selfie selfie of the guy we need the pan number and we need either of the kyc number not the document we just pull all of this information together run a verification engine uh put it through a scorecard uh run it through the uh credit partners that we have that hey i mean is this guy fitting into the credit uh, criteria and then also marry it along with the data science engine that we have built on the alternate data what the merchant has been supplied right because that's again the thesis is that the category of the merchant the size of the merchant location of the merchant the brand of the merchant would actually have a direct material impact on the quality of the credit that is originating so that's a very very valuable parameter that you possibly skip in the journey and which kind of acts as a direct alternative lending methodology and we marry it along with the score that we are generating on the consumer and that's what kind of makes sure that our approval rates would typically be a little higher in comparison to a uh, to a less just to consumer underwriting approach if there's a merchant hypothetically i mean and we have few cases in that in that uh, sense right if there's a merchant which is sitting in a tier 3 city a smaller town uh, which has all, all, already been giving us some really good high quality consumers and if a consumer is not repaying on time uh, because that consumer is also staying in the vicinity uh, he's also following up that cost you know what uh, there's a relationship that i have already so it's a very integrated play so 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 the merchant scorecard gets hit if uh, his consumers don't pay so he is incentivized to uh, kind of push and make sure that they pay it is like for all the merchant partners who are truly attached with us we also reciprocate from all the possible angles so for a guy who has been taking care of uh, my portfolio and has also and has been using the application with the best of the intentions in mind which we kind of rate him on the go and we also tell him that this is a scorecard that i have not i am not going to rate this is something which is under your control you are going to control your own scorecard if you really you know bump the score up do these three things it's going to go up we tell him transparently at most that this is what you need to do and the score is going to go up right um and if the guy does really well we also make sure 
that none of his customer uh, really leaves, no, really leaves without, I mean, for the reason of not having access to capital. It, we go at lengths to make sure that. Yeah. So, so the approval is like a, uh, it's like a weighted average of merchant score plus customer score. And a few more. I mean, and it's, it's, a, it's a large kind of data science engine that we have on our side. And there are a lot of parameters which get considered. We also... Like location and uh, uh, stuff like that. Stuff like that. Location, product category, like some product categories would have higher NPA, some would have lower NPA. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Like I said, actually, you, you pick up really well. Uh, really deep in the space, huh? It's the advantage of being a podcaster and talking to so many founders, you get to learn a lot. So uh, how do you uh, know what product he's buying? Because uh, like you said, uh, these retailers sell multiple brands. Now, suppose one tire brand uh, you have a tie-up with, say Apollo you have a tie-up with, or say Bridgestone you have a tie-up with. Uh, How do you know that uh, this customer is actually buying Bridgestone and not some other brand where the merchant is just taking advantage of the Bridgestone collaboration and passing on that interest cost to Bridgestone. Like, like, like how does that happen? Like, so, so there are various mechanisms. Like I'll give you an example, a use case of a large electrical company. It's a, it's a half a billion dollar in top line. Uh, and in fact, indeed, uh, they were our, uh, I think, uh, second or third client. Uh, right? So uh, we do a very, very light touch integration. Uh, which is just a day's job uh, directly with the ERP of the corporate when we sign up. Where you get the dealers, uh, whoever are the authorized dealers, you get the data. We get the data as well. Uh, but on top of it, we also get the SKU data. Uh, and almost uh, all the large enterprises today, they have uh, fairly foolproof mechanisms, right? Where they are able to identify that which product was made in which factory. And each one has a batch number. Each one has a unique identifier code each of the product, each of the SKU, right? So when that product is getting shipped, they basically track it from a logistical standpoint that what is the shelf life and all of that stuff. And all of this entire data is residing in the corporate Sony RV. What we typically do is, uh, and in this use case, what we are doing, uh, when the consumer is buying it, they basically scan a unique QR code, which is there on the uh, product of the uh, enterprise product. So if you're buying, let's say, a mixer grinder, which is going to cost you about 5,000 rupees, there is going to be a QR code uh, on top of the box, which is going to be unique to only that box. But uh, th- that is uh, something which they start doing once they collaborate with you or they are anyway doing it and you're just getting access to that? We're getting access to that. That QR code on the box. Okay. They're always doing it as part of the normal business. Because there are... There are multiple use cases that QR code is solving. Uh, it kind of allows them to track the product uh, that which retailer is sent to. Mm, it's helping them in supply chain efficiency. So that's why they're anyway putting a QR code. Okay, So you're just piggybacking on that data. Hmm. Piggybacking on the data and we are verifying it on the go. That is it, first of all, a genuine product. Because, I mean, it should not happen that, you know, while the corporate is paying for the subvention, they're getting charged for some fake product being sold in the market. First of all, it has to be a genuine product. And then uh, once that QR code gets scanned, it can never be funded again. So we mark an entry back into the ERP and we basically tell the ERP that, okay, this is what we have funded and this is taken. And that product, that QR code is already kind of taken 
uh, on finance. And then there are a few alternative checks also that we have built as part of our merchant application, where the merchant also has to submit any information if there is a red flag which is being observed by our system. Uh, that this could be a spurious transaction and the system kind of generates a red flag. And uh, then the merchant has to submit an incremental information, let's say in form of an invoice. Uh, so the system will send out a, a message on the notification on the app and the merchant will uh, open up the scanner in the app, they will upload the invoice. And then we have an OCR technology, which we are piggybacking on, which is still we are kind of refining it uh, day by day. Because like I said, it's a huge demographic country that we're dealing with. People are writing those invoices in multiple languages. Uh, if it is in English, our system is able to recognize and approve the invoice on the go or even further raise a red flag. And that's how we are doing that RCA. What is RCA? Sorry. The root cause analysis of how, you know, the flag was generated, and was this flag a genuine flag? And uh, is this really a spurious transaction? All of those checks are already built into the system. And this is the use case that we have solved with the electrical company that I spoke about. What is the customer journey? So a customer comes to a store, uh, he wants to buy, let's say, a microwave oven. And uh, he then tells the guy, okay, I want to buy it. He says, EMI, Pilelo. Then, then what? Like he scans uh, a QR code on the cash counter, which will be like a paytail QR code. And then uh, he does that KYC. Then does he, after that, scan the QR code on the box or does the merchant scan it? Or like, how do you come to know what is the transaction that's happening? Is it merchant driven, customer driven? Like, I'll tell you. So as I'm data, as we are talking today, because our QR code is getting launched tomorrow in the market. Uh, as on date, the entire journey is merchant-induced. The merchant basically initiates a transaction by selecting the product, a verified product, and he adds that item into the cart of the consumer. Like how a cart would be visible on an e-com site. When the consumer downloads the application, there is a cart which is already present, created by, the, by some merchant. They are just checking out from that card. So the merchant will ask the consumer that give me your phone number, then he'll create a profile of that customer with the phone number and then the customer will download the app with his phone number so you know that this is So his cart already has that product. Then the customer does the rest of the KYC steps and once approved, then the merchant gets a notification that uh, the money is in your bank. Absolutely. 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 But from tomorrow uh, and how it's going to change, the merchant, after registration, they don't really need to pick up the phone. There's a QR code which is there, which is going to be there on the counter. Uh, as And let's say I walk in as a consumer. Uh, we call this journey as a scan and pay. It's a scan and pay journey. You just click on that scan and pay button in the app. Uh, scan that QR code uh, in the merchant counter. Tell uh, us the product detail. Then now there are two ways. Uh, either you can scan the QR code, which we spoke about. Then we will verify that this is a product and that they are going to get all the offers on that product. There could be a cashback offer. There could be an offer all the way up to a 12-month EMI, right? Or if they don't want to scan the product, there is also an alternative journey where they can select the product from the catalog. That, hey, I am buying an Apple phone, for example, hypothetically, right? And assuming that even if I don't have a tie with Apple, then also we are actually going to offer a 0% EMI as a subvention program up to three months. So up to three months as a platform, we are offering 0% on everything. Anything and everything that merchant is selling, everything is on 0% EMI if the consumer is selecting up to a three-month option. 
and this this works really pretty well in a in a small ticket size item of up to ten thousand, fifteen grand, something like that. Right? Really, really helps the merchant to elevate the sales. So either we are selecting the QR code from the consumer application, scanning it, and we are just telling them, okay, God, okay, there's a verified product and there's an EMI all the way up to 12 months. If they're not doing that, then we can just sort of tell them that, okay, the EMI low cost is available up to three months. If you really want to go up to 12 months, then there's an interest element, then you'll actually have to bear incrementally from your pocket. Right? And from there, they just uh, kind of complete the journey. So from a merchant perspective, uh, you know, three huge advantages. Uh, 0% EMI, everything, huge. The second thing is, the moment the transaction gets completed, the very same moment, his bank account gets hit with the money. We don't kind of make him wait. Uh, there is an element of trust. And even if there's a red flag which is being raised by the system, that is something we'll deal, deal about it later. Uh, but as soon as the transaction is completed, the merchant kind of gets the money instantly. And the third, of course, uh, the, the main advantage here is that mine is an all-in-one platform from a consumer perspective. While I'm offering an instant credit of up to 2 lakhs, there is also a credit card EMI. There is also a debit card EMI. There is also a pre-approved journeys that we are now kind of tying up with various financial institutions and helping them expand into the BNPL space. So from a consumer perspective, it's all in one. They just have one application which gives you every single possible source through which you can buy an item on an EMI. Mm. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, what What do you mean by subvention program? You use that term that you're running a subvention program. Huh. So subvention prog- program is the same program where the corporate says that please don't charge the consumer. I am going to pay the interest to you. So that's kind of subventing the entire, yes, entire interest component. So, uh, but you are giving three months uh, interest-free EMI even if a corporate is not subventing, right? Like That's our promotion. That is something that we... So that that's like your your customer acquisition cost in a way, like yes, yes, that's right. Okay, that currently is coming from your pocket. Absolutely, that's right. Hmm. 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 But it gives you data about that customer. So in future, uh, if the customer wants a loan again, then you can show NBFC partner that last time he took a loan from us and he paid back, and he's a good customer. So it helps your uh, underwriting engine perform better. Like yeah, well, actually, it helps from a look from a consumer perspective there are a lot of use cases which can eventually be solved. Not to worry about that. Right now, the main focus is to what length can I really go in making sure that the objective for which we have started the business is met. And when you really see the merchant partners struggling, because not every single, not every brand that he's selling is actually running a 0% kind of subvention program. Not every. And within the yeah, 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 yeah. It will be very small universe, like maybe 10, 20%. Oh, yes. And within the spec of brands, uh, you know, uh, there will not be an EMI available at a product level. Like, I, I just started the business back then, uh, you know, when I bought this AirPod. It actually co- costed me a decent amount of money. And I just ended up asking the guy that, hey, do you have an EMI? I said, no, there's an EMI which is available on Apple phone. And I'm standing in a... Uh, uh, authorized Apple store. Uh, and the guy that doesn't have uh, EMI on uh, AirPod. Similarly, for every merchant, there are plethora of products 
where they do not have it access to EMI and hence they kind of end up losing the customer. The thesis or thesis still remains the same. How do I help the merchant in getting that incremental 10 customers? Okay. There are like a bunch of things I want to ask you. Uh, one is that uh, do you see yourself as a B2B company or a B2C company? Because, you know, on the one hand, your uh, the the biggest beneficiary is the merchant. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, the, the more B2C you become, the more powerful uh, or, or the more valuable the business becomes. Because then, uh, you know, uh, customers can not just use it with existing merchant partners, but they can even help you onboard new merchants. And, you know, then it becomes like a, different trajectory of business altogether. So so what do you see yourself as? I think the the answer is pretty much clear. Uh, given the use case that we're trying to solve for, uh, it's an interconnected play. If I only solve for the merchant and don't really solve for the consumer, then the amount of impact that I would be able to create on the objective with which I've started the business is going to be limited. On the other hand, if I make it a only consumer play, then the entire value prop uh, kind of becomes a little twisted because that's not really, uh, you know, as a platform, uh, as a business, as a thesis, that's not really uh, why we started this business for. Uh, so I think it's pretty much clear now that this is uh, looking like a more like an interconnected play uh, where you're like, like that's like a diplomatic answer. No, you're saying both. Uh, I'm saying if you had to say this is a bigger focus, what would that be? Okay, let me put it this way. If you, if I have to give you a clear answer, I would still say that for me, the because my go-to market is originating from the merchant counter. Uh, you know, that's where I, the entire journey kind of starts from, uh, and that's again gonna be the a very very large element of the entire play, even in the coming times. So I think the clear answer from that perspective is going to be the merchant. If you ask me one single focus area, uh, from a problem statement standpoint, it is a merchant that we have to solve for. From, a, from an experience standpoint, it is a consumer what we have to solve for. And if you're really able to marry the two, then you're actually just uh, accelerating the entire value prop from your primary customer, which is merchant. Mm, yeah, yeah, got it. No, I, I mean... Uh... Uh, that's broadly what I wanted to understand because obviously to help the merchant, you need to make it seamless for the consumer. You know, you can't help the merchant if you don't make it seamless for the consumer. But I just wanted to understand like which is your true north in a way, you can say, you know, so, so okay, got that. Uh, I also want to understand like how will you do acquisition of merchants at scale? I mean, eventually, you know, that that will be like a, problem to solve uh, that how do you acquire at scale without doing a lot of burn because i mean like companies like paytm bharat pay they, there is a lot of burn that they have done to acquire merchants uh, what is your approach here are you going to follow a similar path and you know like uh, with large fundraisers to acquire merchants or you know what do you see as the path there uh, okay to answer that let me you know uh, throw some light on the on the market that i have in front of me. So we are actually dealing with millions of small, small retailers. And I'm offering them a solution 
which possibly no one is offering them. And so far, only the bigger peers of these guys actually had access to. They were never approved. I mean, even if there's a presence at a tier three level, that presence is only to a handful guys. That, hey, these are the top 10 guys of the city. Let me just, you know, pick them up. Uh, and those top 10 guys would be in specific categories. Let me just pick them and, you know, solve for them, which is fine. Everyone has got their own playbook. That is where you really, you know, you really want to struggle with the market by burning a lot of cash. So, um, and these are two completely different playbooks. Um, uh, and there is nothing called wrong or right. It's all relative. It's all really what you really want to pick and what you really want to solve for. Uh, in our market, uh, fortunately, so far, that's not the scenario. Uh, hence the reason when we tie up with any of the enterprise client and when they have a very, very strong buying in on the product, each of these guys we are talking about, they have thousands of people running on the ground where they are, their objective in life is that how do I push the product of the corporate? The sales guy's KRA, how do I really make sure that my wallet share at this merchant counter is going to go up, right? Uh, so my product is helping the sales guy in meeting that KRA. That's one. Other than that, uh, we also have set up a fair amount of team on our side. Uh, there's a there's a tele setup that we have. Uh, in fact, uh, interestingly, uh, we did a sample IVR burst across 5,000 merchant ecosystem. And just on IVR, we actually had a 15% success rate right on the first call. 15% of the guys, they just downloaded the application and they signed up. That's what tells you the power of a differentiated product. And the power of when you have a very, very clear value prop for your ecosystem uh, partners, right? So this is how the entire journey is looking at. Our problem has been the other way around. So uh, it's not a question of that how many merchants I can really acquire, right? I, I mean, I, I can literally start acquiring like 20,000 customers per month. That's not the problem statement to solve. The problem is how many merchants can I really service? Given the size and the scale at which we are, if we are able to deliver a real value prop, even to a small cohort of the merchants, and that small cohort could look as small as four or five thousand. Our numbers are almost treble than that. Uh, but even if we are able to deliver a real value prop to a five thousand merchant audience, that's a. I'd say from where I'm standing, from where I'm looking, that's probably the most valuable business to build. Because once you solve that equation at five thousand, the rest is just replicable. You just reapply the same logic, the same equation, over 50,000, 5 lakh, and that's how it just keeps going. Yeah, I, I want to better understand this challenge in front of you. So like you said, you just need to flick a switch and start onboarding 20,000 merchants a month if you decide to do so. But there is a challenge you want to solve first before going and chasing the scale game. What is the challenge that you want to solve? Is it about making your data engine stronger? Is it about tie-ups with people who will finance it like the NBFC bank tie-ups? What is that challenge? Or is it like product development and evolution? What is it like? So I'd say uh, it's a it's a combination of the following things. Uh, number one, of course, the product. We are about eight months into our journey. And we are present across, we have 14 corporate tie-ups already. And these are all large players of their own segments. Um, each of these industries have different nuances 
And whenever we launch one corporate into the market, we always do a small POC. Each one of these guys, they have like 70,000, 100,000 retailer base. And we pick up like 5,000. They just come together and do a POC. When we hit the market, each of these industries, it actually gives us a lot of product maturity. There are nuances of the market that you really need to capture. Right? And how about... Give me an example, like 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 some new category you entered and how that helped the product become more mature. So, okay, this is an interesting one. Um, we just signed up with this tire player that I was talking about, right? Now, unlike the electrical example, which I gave you, where it is very, very easy and simple to identify a unique product, tire doesn't, tire doesn't come with a QR code. Right? If you make the product from a left angle, there's going to be another industry which is just going to come up and surprise you. Um, so how do you really solve that? But do they have like a serial number like tires? I guess they would have. No, okay, don't have. They don't have, right? Unfortunately, they don't have that. Okay, then how, how did you solve that? So uh, there we did a small integration because uh, the corporate also had a mobile device. And every time the merchant is initiating a transaction, they actually have to enter the detail of their transaction in their mobile device. Now, instead of doing all of that in their application, they can actually initiate the, because the tire has to go on warranty. Everyone wa- wants warranty of their tire whenever they're spending 25,000 rupees, right? So now you are really controlling that, hey, this, there's, a, there's a genuine tire to a genuine consumer being sold by adding another layer of uh, verification into it. When you also sold for a small, um, uh, the warranty uh, part. This this again very small example. Now, the another another example would be that there would be a lot of small small merchants across the country, uh, which would actually not have uh, best of the intentions of using the platform. They get their hands on it because there's a there's a huge value prop. Right? That we are delivering to them. Yeah, yeah it's very tempting that uh, uh, show that I'm selling X product uh, and use it to finance Y product. I mean, that that's super tempting. Now, you're still increasing your sales, but doing it fraudulently. It's very tempting. And I'd say that we have also had experiences in the past where people have really studied our entire platform deeply and then uh, come up with the different sort of, you know, funny hacks around it. That, hey, okay, this is how we can do it and all of that stuff. Uh, this is what I call as product maturity. Now, if when you are when you are having a low profile, you can actually catch some of these things fairly quickly and plug these things in your product. You can't probably do the same thing if we were 10x, 20x of our size what we are today. Yeah, yeah. It's better to make the mistakes when you're small so that the cost of those mistakes is less. If you made those mistakes when you became big, then it would be a costly mistake to make. And this is this is one of my favorite lines. Uh, um, these days, right? Um, if you find a payment company which is growing like a lending company, there's a problem. If you if you find a lending company which is growing like a payment company, there's a problem. Mm, because then NPS will shoot up because they are like not being uh, stringent about credit quality. That's why they are. It's a different DNA. Was it's a diagonally opposite DNA. Uh, on on the payment side, we're just taking the guy's money, and uh, it's a, it's a pure product which kind of runs on convenience. Uh, uh, that 
kind of leeway the high volume high velocity product hmm. high volume high velocity very very low margin thin margin paper thin margin when you are starting your data models your credit algos are also kind of getting refined with each and every passing uh, week each and every passing month and you really want to learn from the mistakes and fortunately there are not a lot uh, that we have done uh, because we have been uh, amit and my myself we come from a ba- uh, same background we are both bankers so some of these things kind of uh, already runs in the dna right right you had an insider perspective of uh, fraud essentially i, I think if i had to summarize in one line what is the challenge that you are facing right now it is strong anti fraud mechanism that is what you want to build before you switch on the uh, acquisition engine oh yes and we are fairly i would say that i am fortunate to have such a passionate team uh, in the company we are fairly at an advanced stage uh, at that level uh and now we are looking at uh, that some of the recent partnerships that we have done we actually signed up with the the biggest uh you know uh, gym company in the country so now people don't really have to yeah that's a that's a great product to do it to eyes yeah yeah because typically gyms have this uh, new year may you know special pricing and uh, you know pay pay for the whole year in advance and that's always a pain ke ek lump sum big payment yeah Whereas monthly payment in the gym is super expensive, so that's a great category. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the the biggest guy in the in the space is your partner now, and um, and we were just waiting for this moment of QR code launch. Uh, and next week we are actually launching fifty centers of the same brands across the country. Uh, and I think that's gonna be a huge. And again, staying true to the thesis, um, can we deliver a real value prop? through all the partners that we have uh, tell me something is there like a rule of thumb in bnpl for example that if you offer bnpl to customers your sale goes up by 10% or 20% or something well is there some like you know how beneficial is bnpl is there some industry standard on how beneficial it is because everybody wants to do bnpl what is the data behind it that uh, i'll tell you so uh, we don't have that data in, in the country unfortunately Uh, we are not that rich when it comes to the data, but I was actually reading a couple of reports on US, right? And that's where I think BNPL has been a, as a phenomenon, uh, also from a technology standpoint, has been existing for almost a decade now. And there are very very large uh, listed companies already uh, over there. And in this in this report, which I am not able to recollect the publisher, uh, but what interestingly it said that there is almost a thirty percent increase. that's massive okay that is massive 30% is massive and i am not i am not like very surprised because this is what i we hear from our merchant partners almost every week almost every week now i'll tell you funny instance uh, we had actually shut down a particular category category at a category level um that hey we are not just not going to probably enter we are not ready for that there are higher chances of fraud is there anything you are doing to try and capture that data of how much bump you will uh, deliver so uh, we are actually putting a mechanism in place which is not full proof and uh, we don't really have a lot of data but we are trying to iterate in that space that hey can we really start capturing this data because this is going to be huge and very very meaningful data for us yeah yeah that that's like the uh, easiest way to sell the product is just to show that you know so in fact on a one another interesting fact right Uh, at such early on in the journey, today we own about seventy percent of the bicycle space. 
we are tied up with almost all everyone and we are we are selling bicycles like hotcakes uh these days it's it's a, it's a little down because uh, i think there's a general tendency not to buy new bicycles during winters uh but as soon as i think it opens up uh, we land up into february the entire trend is going to pick up like a uh, rocket ship again so uh like uh, you're okay talking numbers like I- i'm really curious to know that you know how many merchants have you onboarded so far what is your monthly run rate and stuff like that like that would be interesting to know and especially the growth also how how you've been growing well i can tell you from a percentage basis and i i mean merchant number is fine i mean i'm more than happy to kind of share that so today we are sitting at a merchant number of about 16000 on merchant partners and which is uh, deliberately kept small because you want to build those anti fraud mechanisms first oh yes i mean practically we have not been uh, uh going after the acquisition stuff from the last two months whatever this 16000 number came in we just came in like 3 4 months time period and then it was a it was a moment of thought that hey we already got 16000 uh do we really need to add more and really start chasing a very very large number which probably you may or may not be able to service at scale or or we pick up a cohort of about 5 to 10000 merchants who really matter and most likely these are uh, uh, the merchants which have been recommended by the brands where we have the partnerships because there is a there is a lot of organic signups also when people hear us about us in the market they just get excited and they download the application register themselves uh, but at at this stage probably it's not best advisable to start serving every single 16000 merchants so why can't we really pick up a cohort of about 10000 7000 merchants out of this entire stuff and we build a strategy evolve the product that hey let's work with these 7000 folks and really try and test out that what are the challenges we are facing which are industry specific geo specific and product specific how can we fix them and how can we deliver a real value prop and this iteration of introducing a qr code this iteration of uh, making the entire consumer journey independent was directly in line of that what is uh... so merchants who are active users uh, what is like the average credit dispersed per merchant like you know what value like a lakh a month or more than that or so uh, this is a good number uh, 70% of the and this is a funnel like this is a funnel right so 70% of our merchants actually come on top of the funnel which i tell you Uh, so when i say top of the funnel these are the guys who have an intention to transact with paytel uh who are coming on the application they are initiating the transaction with the consumers uh but uh, with the uh, i mean uh, with whatever capacity right because this this guy could be located in a very very small town and i may not have enough data on the guy i am not probably able to deliver that credit this season um uh, and this guy does not make it to the top, bottom of the funnel Uh, about thirty percent of this uh, entire merchant ecosystem are the ones who make it to the bottom of the funnel. And on an average, uh, we do about two and a half to three transactions per merchant on an average. There are few large merchants who would actually end up giving us about seventy uh, eighty transactions also in a month. And there would be few guys uh, because they are located in a small town and also because. a majority of the categories that we are going after are the ones 
which have already uh, always remain in, I mean, uh, unaware of a BNPL product in their category. Like, for example, talk about cycle. The cycle guy never knew that you can actually sell a cycle. So they are also getting accustomed and attuned now. Uh, so there will be a guy who probably selling only, doing only two transactions. And there'll be one transaction. Uh, and there'll be a guy who's doing about 50, 60 transactions. On an average, each of our merchant partner gives about two and a half to three transactions. Uh, in a month, that's been the that's been the overall run rate. So uh, I'll put it like this: um, our average GMV uh, or the gross merchandise value that we sell on the platform comes out to about twenty eight thousand rupees. And uh, per not per merchant, this per transaction. Yeah. So you were saying the average uh, GMV per transaction is twenty eight thousand. Yeah. So average GMV per transaction is that. And what we are expecting from from all the merchants, um, even including the long tail ones, uh, even if on an average we are able to unlock a one lakh rupee GMB, every merchant, every single merchant that's there in the ecosystem, it's a huge lifetime value at a merchant level that we are looking at. Massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like. Changing the lifestyle of that merchant, you know, like twelve lakhs annual increase in your sales means, like you know, you you can send your kids to a better school, for example. Like, yeah, yeah. people are sending photographs here yeah. <clears throat> on our support channel. Um, a guy, a guy, a guy just sold five bicycles uh, in about half an hour to five different consumers, and he was so goddamn happy about it that this has never happened to my business. What's happening? And this is the impact that we are chasing as a business. The only question here is, the only question, again, an equation which we are trying to balance and figure out, um, how can you replicate the same level of impact and enthusiasm across the merchant ecosystem? But uh, the main question, prominent question uh, remains the same. Uh, thus, impact which we delivered on this bicycle guy who sold five cycles in half an hour, just because there was a simple affordability solution which was there on the counter, how can we replicate the same impact across the merchant ecosystem? And this is how the journey looks like now. Yeah, um, both of you are non-technical, like, like you know, you're both on the business side. How, how did you build the technology part of it? I mean, because this is like, you know, you need uh, machine learning algorithms and all of that to be in place to enable uh, this to work successfully at scale. So, how did you do that? Well, uh, Akshay, I mean, uh, yes, I mean, we are, we are both are non-tech guys, uh, but I think uh, we got a decent level of exposure from a technology standpoint uh, in our three, three and a half, four years of uh, uh, career with Priority Venture comes C2F4, you know. But on top of it, the thesis here is that uh, the solutions are available if you ask for it. You can really, you know, accelerate the entire learning curve by talking to a lot of people around who have already done those mistakes. So uh, when we started when we started off, uh, we actually had no clue how all of the tech stack and everything is going to work out. Uh, help from people, our friends and everything, we set up a good and solid engineering team. And that is where we never kind of, you know, uh, thought of not investing because that's a capability being a tech company that you need first before anything else, even before your first enterprise client. Even before your first merchant, what you really need is a very, very solid uh, tech stack. And uh, now we have also, uh, now we also have a CTO 
who's actually joining us in the first week of Jan uh, and also kind of helping us out uh, on some of the very, very ambitious plans uh, that we have now. Because what are those ambitious plans? Are you at liberty to share a few? I, I mean, I'd love to hear. Now, what we're also thinking of um, A, to revamp the entire application infra to give them better control, uh, to give them better visibility, as well as now we're also introducing, um, and I, I can't share those specs, uh, and I will shortly uh, share that as and when uh, we want to reveal it. Uh, it's going to be a paytail premium reseller program. And if there are merchants who are falling in that paytail premium resellers program, then there are some incremental incentives that they get. Not even in form of only cashback, right? Because that's how the thesis. In terms of even increased value proposition, can we really offer their consumers who are walking into the doorstep something which really makes them excited that this is the shop I really want to buy buy it from? Mm -hmm. Better financing terms and stuff like that. Not really. It's it's gonna be super exciting. It's gonna be better financing term is something we can solve today. <laughs> that's that's only. A, that look, that's only an incremental advantage. So the way we are planning is that, look, for if if a merchant is completing about five transactions with me in a month, I'm actually going to upgrade him to a category of a premium reseller. And for a premium reseller, there's going to be a dedicated account manager types. And that account manager, instead of handling 500 merchants, he would now hand, be handling only 200 merchants, 150 merchants. It's a real kind of lineup support. That's faster approval. Instead of 10 minutes, uh, it'll be like two minutes or something like that. Hmm. And uh, the second thought process is that uh, in exchange of that, can we actually uh, offer some sort of 10% instant cashback to every single purchase that the consumer is doing on the counter? And that cashback is actually going to work across all the paytail premium resellers, wherever the consumer wants to go, right? That is second. And the third is going to be that we are also introducing something called paytail nearby merchants in the consumer application where the consumer can uh, where the listing of these merchants will actually be on the priority yeah 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 essentially you're powering a loyalty scheme for them like like this becomes a loyalty scheme for them yeah across that network of premium resellers 10 percent is massive like 10 percent you gave me as an example or you're actually planning 10 percent we are actually planning that uh, and that's the reason i did not want to disclose because we are actually learning some mathematics uh, on top of it we actually it actually sounds fitting um because uh, that cashback is not an immediate cash burn that we are doing. Um, it, is, it is something that you are putting in a wallet or something, which the consumer can only utilize across my stores. Right, right, right. That's like a game changer. That, that's like really going to boost the B2C part of the business then. That's right. Mm. Yeah, and increases the value proposition for the merchant also, because then you are enabling discovery, you are enabling loyalty, like, you know, both those things you're enabling. They, they are more equipped to become an Amazon in a way. You know, they, this becomes like a prime Amazon Prime membership kind of a equivalent. This was our first tagline, in fact, actually what you just said. How can I make every merchant an Amazon? How can I empower him so much from all the possible angles, convenience, uh, affordability, loyalty? That's all you need, right? So uh, how have you funded it so far? Because, I mean, building a tech team costs a lot, right? So Well, um, Two parts. Um, a, our business is uh, our business runs on revenue, and we make a good amount on that. Number one, and we are also funded by one of the largest, uh, uh, I guess, corporate houses of the country, uh, uh, which is uh, Chola Mandalam Group. We recently raised about one and a half million dollar from them, 
And before that, I had also done a $200,000, $300,000 uh, seed round or the pre-seed kind of round from my group of friends um, and angels, right? Friends and family, $300,000. And uh, uh, now we are actually looking at when some of these products go live uh, in the next two months. And that's when we start looking at the fruits. Um, that's when we'll look for the next round. And, they, and the ambitions uh, in that direction are large. Because earlier it was only me and Amit. Now we are a fully powered uh, team. And there are leadership people joining across uh, across the company. Uh, super passionate people. And I'm so, so excited to kind of work with all of these. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit thepodium.in, that is T-H-E-P-O-D-I-U-N dot I-N for a complete list of all our shows. Before we end the episode, I want to share a bit about my journey as a podcaster. I started podcasting in 2020 and in the last two years, I've had the opportunity to interview more than 250 founders who are shaping India's future across sectors. If you also want to speak to the best minds in your field and build an enviable network, then you must consider becoming a podcaster. And the first step to becoming a podcaster starts with Zencaster, which takes care of all the nuts and bolts of podcasting, from remote recording to editing to distribution and finally monetization. If you are planning to check out the platform, then please show your support for the Founder Thesis podcast by using this link zen.ai slash founder thesis that's zen.ai slash founder thesis